been such a blessing, you know. Darius was reminding me, he's like, you look so serious up there. And I'm like, you don't know what it's like in this message, the farewell message, to, to look out at the audience and not see your faces as, as my friends and my family, but to know all the history that goes along with them. And it's, it's, it's hard to make eye contact at points because, you know, it's, I just, I mean, it's all I can do to hold my composure. So I thank you for being gracious with me as I do this farewell message. And so thankful for each and every one of you because we don't get to see your faces, Autumn and I, but we remember all the stories and the, the life that we've lived together. And so very thankful this morning to share the word with you. And so just by way of introduction, I was uh, remembering while we were just recently down in Tennessee, just a it's the time when Autumn and I, we had really made up our minds that we were going to go to Tennessee on this last trip and really just pray and seek the Lord and ask for him for direction and vision and where he was going to guide us. And so as, as I didn't want to over-spiritualize certain things and I really wanted to be led by the Lord, I kind of made this pact with the family, you know, and with Autumn that, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to make any decisions in haste and we were, we're going to really think through things and, through things and pray and um, and so as we're driving one day, I, I know my wife, and I know the Lord speaks to her, and I'm like, I can't help myself. I'm asking her, I'm like, so what's the Lord showing you, you know? And do and, uh, you have your mind made up where you think God's, you know, what people God's calling us to? And, and she's like, we made a pact. I'm not saying a single thing. And so there was this awkward silence as we're driving. We're both staring out the window, and we know what the other person's thinking about, obviously, and, you know, and there's just the silence. And and I'm, I found myself at that time just praying to the Lord, you know, help me to trust, you know, help me to, to lean on my understanding. And, and, and Lord, I just, I need to know that you're going to be there before me, you know. And I'm having these thoughts and I'm remembering my life verse, the verse that uh, the Lord led me to, to salvation in um, many years ago through a sermon by Pastor Jim Hesterly, who's here. And, and so... As I'm remembering my life verse, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I'll put it on the screen for you. And then that's to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall guide and direct your paths. And as I'm thinking through that and just really trying to call out to the Lord and just say, help me trust you, you know. And us, then all of a sudden Autumn yells out. She's like, do you see that? And I'm like, I'm looking around, I don't see anything. You know, and it's a car. Just, I'm just getting a slight glimpse of it as it's leaving, pulling away from us. And they had a custom license plate with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on it. And, I, you know, and not to over-spiritualize it, but it was just a good reminder, the Lord giving me, of just how we can trust him in, in our steps. And while we make plans, you know, it's going to be him that guides and directs those steps. And, and to have that faith and to know that he'll go before us. And, and so as we get into... Judges chapter 6 here, we're going to be talking about Gideon and his call to service as he was one of Israel's judges. And we're, I think we can all relate to this, and this is why I picked this story, is, is Gideon is a man that is a lot like us. He's, he's operating in fear, he's questioning God, he's unqualified, and you know, he's deceived, you know, he's got idolatry in his life, you know, he's putting his trust in other things. And a lot of times we can get caught up in that, no matter where we are as a believer and where our faith is, um, it's easy for those things to sneak in, especially fear. Fear is paralyzing. And so let's look together today at uh, Gideon's calling, and I think we're going to see six truths in the ways that we can trust God. And the first one is that God uses trials to get our attention. And so let's look at the first six verses. Then the children of Israel 
did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for, for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens and the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And so it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. And then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sleep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number. They would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And so here as we, in these opening verses, what you're seeing is a pattern of Israel, and this has really come full cycle. This is a cycle that Israel has gone through for many ages. They've had periods where they're obedient to the Lord, and God has delivered them of their sins, but then out of complacency, they usually fall right back into things, and, the, and, and so the cycle has continued, and now they're stuck in a pattern of this has gone on for seven years. And it's on the heels of really the calm before the storm. As the last verse there in Judges says this, it says, so the land had rest for 40 years. And now they're in this turmoil of seven years of disobedience and the letting complacency breed sin. And in that complacency, it breeds the sin of fear, you know, a lack of trust and faith and a famine on the land and really just disobedience and a misguided trust. They had started putting their, their trust in idolatry and other gods and particularly the God of Baal. And that was the God that was supposed to, supposed to control the weather. And so being in agricultural society, they, it really was much deeper for them. It wasn't just, it, wasn't, it was idolatry in the sense that they, they, they thought they had control. They were going to be able to control their lives. And so this is an ongoing struggle for, for them. And the enemy, the enemy knows that. And the enemy knows how to, to seek us in, in, our, in our troubles and to actually join forces and if you ever found that when you're in sin, it kind of snowballs, it has a snowball effect in your life. And, and here, the, it's not just the uh, Midianites that are attacking them, it's the Amalekites also. And they've joined forces, and that's how the enemy works sometimes. It's, it's not just one enemy, but it just kind of has a trickling effect in your life. And so um, here they are, they're hiding out in caves. And the caves in the Bible always represent fear, sin, and death, and burial. And so... Look at, I'm going to read Numbers 25, 16 through 18 to you, and it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Be hostile to the midnight and strike them, for they have been hostile to you with their tricks. Long pattern of where they were supposed to remove the midnights from their lives, and Israel has failed to do this. And this went on for seven years. Why? Because we're, we're much like that. We will exhaust all other possibilities in our lives sometimes before we turn to the Lord. I think you can find that in your own life. I, I know I, I've been guilty of that at times. I have to be reminded sometimes, no matter, even as a pastor sometimes, well, did you pray for that? My wife's famous for that. My kids even, my kids provoke me often. Like, well, did we pray about this? Did we do this as a family? And I'm like, ugh. You know, it's kind of convicting, you know, especially when it comes from your kids, you know. And so this, this went on for a long time for them. Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12 says this, Do not despise the Lord's instructions, my son. Do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. See, the Lord loves you too much to let you stay in your sin in that area. He loved Gideon too much, and he knew that he could use Gideon for his glory than to let him sit there hiding. And so we can ignore, um, this is what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, We can ignore even pleasure, 
but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to it, whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. The Lord has over and over tried to wake up the Israelites, and they failed to recognize it. But this is what, what God does in our trials. So I don't know what status today you come in here this morning and, and what trial you're going through and what difficult time you may have. Or maybe you're in that calm right now, you know, that the Israelites have. But do not become complacent is the encouragement here. And so let's continue on reading here. We'll pick up at verse 7 and we'll look at the second truth that we'll look at together is that God sees more than we can. And more importantly, he sees you. He sees you as you are and the true condition of your heart. So pick up at verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the midnights that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, and which belongs to the Yoash of the Bizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. He, was a, he called him basically a warrior, a brave man. And in this condition, Gideon is nothing but. You can almost find humor in this, maybe even sense sarcasm from the Lord. You don't know the, we don't really know the condition of which Gideon was prior to this, but nonetheless, here he is hiding in the wine presses, and at that moment, he is not a mighty man of valor. But God sees him as, as he, he would see him with Christ in him, and not necessarily who he is at that moment. See, God knows at that point, seeing Gideon, he knows where he is, he knows he's hiding, he knows he's fearful, and yet he sends a prophet, an angel of the Lord, you know, him himself in the form of an angel and a man. And we might be short-sighted ourselves and slow to respond in our trials, but aren't you glad that God isn't, that he, he seeks us out, and that, and that he, he loves us, and he comes to us and moves us in his love and his mercy. And God is working behind the scenes at all times. Let's look at verse 10 together. I just want to focus there for a second. It says, And also I said to you, I am the Lord your God, but do not fear the gods of the Amorites, and in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. See, God knew that, that they weren't listening to him. They didn't fear him. They didn't have a proper reverence for who he was. They had put their trust in other things. And Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And Proverbs 16.6 says, By the fear of the Lord one keeps away from evil. You might re- remember recently as we went through the book of Luke, um, um, these passages, and I'll put it up on the screen, verses Luke 12, verses uh, 4 and 5, and it says this, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So we've got to care more about God in our life and trust him and have that trust. And, and so as we set up this pattern here today, as we look at that, um, and onto the scene comes Gideon. And he's, he's working harder than he has to there in the wine press. 
you know, the, the, the wine presses would have been down in the lower parts of, of the land there. Um, if they were threshing wheat, they should have done it on the hills, and he should have been able to, to actually be able to throw the wheat up in the air and have the natural wind and everything work in his favor and have the ch- chafe separated. But here he is hiding, working so much harder to, to just be in fear and have had been just obedient to the Lord, and the Israelites had been obedient. They would be producing all that they ever needed and not be worried about in, in, in hiding at that time and be without. And God would be sustaining them. But instead, they're so caught, he's so caught up in his sin, he doesn't recognize how hard he's working. And I know you and I, we can get stuck in that mode too sometimes where we're just working away, working away, and, and sometimes caught up in our sin. And that we don't realize it's, we're putting so much more effort in hanging on to the things that we, sh- we shouldn't than if we just gave it over to the Lord and surrendered. And, it, you know, it reminds me, as, just, as you, many of you that do construction and we do projects sometimes, it's, you know, you ever get stuck in that spot where you have the wrong tool and you're just determined you're going to finish and you're going to keep on going. And if you, just, if you just left an hour ago and went to Home Depot, you'd probably be already done with your project. But, you know, you just keep hanging on, but thinking that you're going to get through it. And this is, this is what Gideon's doing. He's, he's, he's failing to recognize that he's missing a very important tool, and that's obedience. And so um, it was a sad sight, almost humorous, but yet the Lord calls him a mighty man, um, a warrior. And so um, God calls people as he sees them, not as you act or how you see yourself even. And so um, there's history of this all through the scriptures. I'll give you some examples. Simon, um, the scared fisherman, becomes who? Peter, Peter the Rock. You know, Ab- Abram becomes father of none, or his father of none will become Abraham, the father of a multitude. Then, of course, you have Saul, the, the murderer, right? He becomes Paul and writes most of the New Testament. There's constant examples in our lives that God has called people literally by name and changed their names and changed who they were to be referred to and known for by a work of him. And so, but God is fond of giving these people these new names because he wants him to get the glory. And I had an experience like this um, um, early on in ministry before I was a pastor um, serving here at this church and the Lord had uh, called me out of um, a corporate career, and Autumn and I took a risk, a gamble, and just in prayer and stepping out in faith, and, and we bought a house, um, an investment house at auction, and w- had a friend that was mentoring us through it, but you know, we really, maybe in some ways, had no business doing it, we just didn't have enough knowledge. And we, so I went down, went down one night and uh, checked out the house, thought everything looked good, Went to the auction next morning, bought it for a penny over. Nobody bid against us. And, I, you know, it should have been a huge blessing at that moment, but I suddenly had all this fear. Like, why didn't anyone bid against me? I should, I should have been happy about it, but instead I started going, well, something must be wrong. I mean, no one else bid against it, you know, instead of seeing it as God's blessing. And so as I was driving to the house, my friend is trying to encourage me, oh, you're going to do fine, it's great, you know. And I show up at the house, and it's, you know, on the way there, I guess because of all that fear and anxiety, I found myself just praying to the Lord, you know, Lord, I don't want to do anything that's outside of your will. You know, I need you to go before me. Forgive me, Lord, if I've stepped out where I shouldn't be. And, and you know, I just want to be about your business, you know. And so I show up at the house, and sure enough, it was like my worst nightmare. I told my friend I'll never buy a house that somebody lives in because I never wanted to do an eviction. And there's this woman with, with her son having a garage sale on the, on the driveway, literally. And so I talked to the wife for a little while, and I just, I don't even remember what, we, what the conversation was. And the next day, the husband calls me and wants to meet. So I go to meet with him, and I'm full of fear, and um, 
The husband, as we're talking there at the front door, he gets closer and closer to my face. And you know how people start violating your space and you're stepping back and, he's, and, he's, and he says something interesting to me. He says, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I, I looked at him, I was like, I didn't call you any names, what's going on here? I'm like, no, I'm, you know. And I just totally denied what the Lord was doing in that moment and I just had instant conviction and I just started ministering to the guy and asking him questions and it turns out his brother was a pastor and been pouring into him but it had been years of abuse of drugs and, and, and long story short, I was able to lead him to the Lord and um, they wind up leaving the house, you know, almost perfect for us and it was just such a blessing but what God showed me is, you know, he'll call you and he'll bring you the people that he wants you to minister. You've got to be faithful and obedient. And that's, that's what we'll be known for. And so let's continue to read here. We'll pick up at verse 13. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where, all, where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midnights. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midnites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I have the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Midnites as one man. And then he said to him, If I know, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is, it is you who talks with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and, and unleavened bread and an ephah of flour. And the meat he put in a basket and he put a broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat of the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, for, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrath of the Abyssalites. And so here we're looking at our third, third truth here, that God's calling always includes his presence, that God is going to reveal himself to you, and he does to Gideon face to face. And it's at that moment there in that verse where he says he sees him that things begin to change for, for Gideon. And, um, but Gideon feels abandoned prior to that. You know, he, he thinks God has forsaken them. He realizes he, he has a knowledge of all that um, God has done, the Lord has done in delivering Israel over and over, but, but he's failing to, to remember also the, the promises of the Lord in that they were supposed to eradicate their enemy. And so Numbers 33, verses 55 and 56 says this, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that, th that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land in which you live. And it shall come about that as I plan to do to them, so I will do to you. See, Moses had also warned, and he said in Deuteronomy 28, verses 14 and 15, he says, And do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today, to the right or to the left, and to go after the gods to serve, serve them. 
But it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. That's Deuteronomy 28, and the, the, that's a long chapter, and the whole rest of the chapter is all about the curses and the, and the potential um, consequences of Israel not being obedient. And so it's a, call, it's a call for them. They were fully aware of it, but yet this is why they were in this vicious cycle. And, uh, but, you know, Gideon, he lacked that obedience, and, and what, what's, his, what's, his, what's his answer to the Lord? What's his protest? He says, I'm the youngest and the least. But what's God's answer? God's answer is simple. He says, I will be with you. I will go before you. And he says, well, how can I save Israel? He says, and it's with this no confidence, with all humility that Gideon brings to the picture. That's all he has to offer, really. And the Lord commissions Gideon. And he says, you're going to go into victory against the midnight. But Gideon's response is like, you know, who am I in this? This is very much the same response that Moses had to his calling. Listen to what Moses says in Exodus 4.1. He says, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? And then in verse 10 of the same chapter, it says, please, Lord, have I never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since um, you, you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But it's not who we are, church. It's, um, it's about who he is and who, who he is in us and who Christ is working through us. And it's about him getting the glory. And this is what... This is what the Lord is trying to establish through Gideon's life. I'm going to put on the screen for you 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 25 through 29. And this is what Paul says. He says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. God is looking for his glory, church. He's looking at Gideon and he says, you're the perfect man for the job. You say you're you're from the smallest tribe, the, the least of the family, you're the youngest of the brothers, then you're perfect. You know why? Because you can't take the glory from me. It'll be mine and nobody else's. And this is the heart of the Lord as he works through us that are imperfect. And so the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, though, he says, go in the might that is yours. And so Gideon already has established, there's characters of, characteristics of Gideon that God is able to use, but he's failing to look at them as the resources and for God's glory. And so I'm going to put some of them on the screen for you. God had the might, or excuse me, Gideon had the might of the humble. He was threshing wheat in the wine press floor. He exemplifies that God has the, the might of the caring. He cared for his people, you know, because he, he, he cared about the low place of Israel. There he is hiding, trying to pre- sustain them and, and prepare food for them. Gideon had the might of knowledge. You know, he, was, he knew there were great things in the past. Uh, Gideon had the might of, the, of being spiritually hungry. You know, he wanted to see great works, in, you know, in the future. He, was, he had that expectant heart. And Gideon had the might of being teachable, you know, he, he asked a lot of questions, but he was willing to listen to the Lord. And Gideon had the, the might of the weak. So God's strength is uh, perfected in our weakness. So Gideon recognized these things. And it really, for him, it comes to a real realization there in verse 22 as he, he sees the angel's Lord, the, the Lord's face 
face to face. There he's looking at him, and that's, that's, the, that's the encouragement that Gideon needed. It's not that he didn't have any faith at all, but he just needed to know that God was going before him, that God was going to be present with him, and that God would sustain him. So he needed that personal encounter. And he also recognized, Gideon, that worship is costly. Here he had brought to the altar before the Lord um, the very things that they were without. And there the Lord burnt him up in front of him. And he knew it would, it would be, it's a costly thing to worship the Lord. There's sacrifice that comes, comes with that. And now, now notice how Gideon worships in the midst of terrible famine. You know, and I think there's a New Testament example of that. I'll read it to you in Mark 14, verses 3 through 5. And it says, And while he was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some, of, some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. See, Mary didn't care that others would scold her, that others would think, you know, different of her, that maybe she was doing things that she just shouldn't have in the times, but she cared more that she was worshiping the Lord. It didn't matter that that oil would have cost, you know, roughly $30,000 in today's value, and to pour it out, and, and it was an act of worship. It cost her something, and she was okay with that. You know, and for us, we had to take a walk with as we worship the Lord is, you know, what, what does it cost for us to worship? You know, are we willing to sacrifice our pride? You know, do, do, are we willing to give up our, our self-consciousness or to sacrifice financially as we follow the Lord? You know, a lot of people have asked Autumn and I, why do you have such a peace, you know, in going out to Tennessee, particularly in the area of ministry? And for us, that's probably where we have the most peace is that we know if he's not in it, then we, we don't want to go. You know, and, and if he goes before us, who can be against us? And so that's where the peace comes from. Don't get me wrong, we have our moments of fear, and a lot of it comes with the logistics of just trying to figure things out in these last few weeks, but God is, God is for us. He has been. We have a history and a pattern of his, his faithfulness in our lives and that we can draw back on. And so the fourth, uh, the fourth um, point in following God's truth and, and in trusting God is, is this, to have private worship, um, to have private worship before public service. God calls us to worship him in private. He, he wants to have the condition of our hearts. He wants to know, know us truly that we're surrendered to him before he'll ever put us before other people. And so now that Gideon has established where he is, you know, and where his instructions come from, he's told to clean up his house. And let's, so let's look at that together. Let's pick up verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night." And then, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar, which had been built. And so they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, 
Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And when the men of the city said to Joash, bring your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Yerubal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So, Yerubal means uh, let Baal contend. See, Gideon in his, his act of faith there, stepping out boldly and cleaning up his house, um, had taken on a great, a great act. And he didn't, he, maybe he didn't realize it. He was doing it completely in fear. But we'll soon find out that those 10 men that went with him in fear would soon become 32,000 men that would follow him. It's attractive. Just a small amount of faith is attractive to the people around you. And so this is, this is what Gideon's realizing. And he's, like, he's, he's realizing that this private worship that's been going on in his life is now going to be used for other people. And so look at verse 30. You know, get, let me turn there. So verse 30, as you see, um, Yoash basically defending, you know, um, sending, defending this work. Um, really what I want to point out to you, sorry, I lost my place there. Um, what I really want to point out to you is just that his father, the work that he had done in his father's life, and that he was able to really tear down these altars, get behind his, get behind his son, and knowing that it was God, and to see that faith built up, and to see that his son would be stepping out in, against all odds and against, against his community, against his loved ones, it was contagious that his father would get behind him and say, say, you know what, if Baal is for real, let him defend himself. I have no need. And so that's the heart that we should be coming to here. And so let's, let's continue on our story. Let's look at the fifth truth of trusting God, and that is God is gracious and long-suffering towards us. Let's pick up at verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. And so Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. And so here we witness God miraculously revealing himself to Gideon. You know, he, he's, I think a picture of Gideon and what comes to my mind is that of a, a child and a parent relationship. I think for any of us that are parents, we know what it's like to have a kid that constantly asks you the same question over and over. 
right? And they come to you. I, I just had this the other day, the experience with my son. It was like, why am I grounded? Why am I grounded? It's like, I keep telling him, keep telling him, right? But the flip side and the beautiful side of that of a relationship of a parent is those times when we can think back and just the love that we have for our kids and how we would do anything for them. We would be long-suffering for them. And a memory that I have is just swimming with my kids and them jumping off the pool slide or the side of the pool, and, and they're always willing to jump. They never, they never have a fear. They're willing to leap into their dad's arms because they know there's a consistency of their father always being there, willing and ready to catch them. And that's the heart of the Lord. He's catching Gideon. He says, he's already proven himself over with one miracle. And you know what? I'll do the second one for you, Gideon, because I know the mighty works that you're going to do in my name and for my glory when you're obedient because you can remember and have those remembrance stones, as Papa was talking about earlier up here, that you'll be able to carry that on. And so um, God is building up Gideon's confidence, and it was through his testimonies. And I, we have those moments in our lives, and we need to draw back on our past experiences. And, and so I had an experience like that recently while we were in Tennessee. And uh, I had been praying that God would show us and give us divine appointments with the people, knowing that God calls us to a people, not a location. And so, Lord, show us the people that we're to minister to. And in prayer, one of my prayers really specifically was that God would also reveal that for Autumn, that he would give her women to minister to and that she would, you know, recognize her calling. And, you know, it's not just me going out, it's my family and we're serving together. And so there was one night, one of the last nights we were there, we, you know, it was in theory people thought we were gone on vacation, but it was nothing but we were praying, seeking the Lord and just having, honestly, a heavy time at times, just trying to make sure we're being obedient and, so we had one night where we just wanted to step out and just kind of finally relax, kind of absorb all that the Lord was showing us. And, you know, we decided to take a walk. We were camping at the lake, take a walk along the lake. And we made it about two minutes into our walk at the most. And we hear this young girl kind of yelling out, you know, hey, can you help me? And it's, she's kind of frazzled and can't really make out what she's saying. And I honestly instantly thought, oh, she's going to ask for money. And I just had these, these thoughts, you know, and I was just... I was like, uh, you know, just trying to relax, you know. And um, it was very convicting because we soon find out that this girl is 18 years old and Autumn and I instantly had a heart for her just recognizing that could be our daughter, you know. That could be, you know, one of my church members. That could be one of my family here. And, and so as we s- start to talk to her, we realize that she's scrambling because she's down to 1% on her cell phone. She locked her keys in her car, and she's on the side of this lake all by herself in the dark, and she's, she's panicking trying to get a hold of her mom on her cell phone when her cell phone dies, literally, as we're walking up. And so we start talking to her. And so make a long story short, I, I, I head back to the RV to get our AAA and to get her into her car. And... Uh, I'm still having this thought like, well, there goes the night of just relaxing, you know. And I'm, the Lord just instantly convicted me as I was getting the AAA card. And just, he said, this is what you prayed for, that God would bring you the people. And I started thinking about my wife ministering to her. I knew her at that moment. By the time I got back, Autumn would already have her whole life story, you know. And, and, and uh, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And this young girl ministered to us as we ministered to her. And it was just a beautiful scene. But God is faithful to answer prayers. And sometimes we miss the very things right in front of us. And so we have to be looking and keep those testimonies close to our hearts. Let's, um, let's continue here. And um, as God continues to confirm to us, in closing, I guess, you know, for time's sake, I really want to just paraphrase paraphrase here in chapter 7 is God and his final truth that he's going to show us tonight is his victory is established by God and not us you know we have to trust it's for his glory he's going to empower us 
And so what we witness here, if you, if you read here in chapter 7, is there's a very um, powerful verse here. It says, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the midnight into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself. And so here, out of faith, um, and just a zeal now, being empowered by the Lord, you've got Gideon about to go into battle. And his once 10 men with them are now 32,000 men ready to go to war. And, but the Lord says, you know what, that's too many. Send home every man that's fearful. So 22,000 men go home. And he, he leaves them basically with 10,000 men. And so Gideon, again, ready to go. And the Lord says, you know what, that's too many. For every man that kneels, send them home. To the point that there's 300 men about to engage in a battle. In a battle that they're already way outnumbered. You know, too much power for the enemy is the thought. But the God is stronger. God is better. God's ways are better. And in, in faith, Gideon encounters and goes into war. And God does a supernatural thing, a miraculous thing. And this is what God can do with obedience and faith. He, those 300 men armed with just torches and, and um, vases literally cause complete havoc and confusion on the enemy. And as, as they start to expose themselves in the middle of the night with these torches and bre- break open the pots, there's confusion in the camp, and the enemy starts to, they kill, basically start turning on each other and killing each other until the camp is wiped out. That is the power. And the only person that could get glory in all of that is God. You know, Gideon could not take, could not take credit for himself. And so the reason I share this story with you today is that that's my testimony in a lot of ways. I never expected today to be up here sharing with you. I, wanted to, I want to leave you today personally with this exhortation is that we got to trust what God's doing. and He's doing a mighty thing here at Reliance Church. And we need to trust that it's going to continue and that he's going to be glorified. It's be his name that's lifted up in this place. And it'll be your lives that will be changed. And it'll be you that impacts this church and continues to grow it. And that we are living out literally what we said we would do is, is we're, we're leading people to know, love, and serve Jesus. We're making disciples. And that's why there's no vacancies as Autumn and I leave here. There are people who have filled in the gaps. And God will always honor that. He will always fill every gap to accomplish his mission. And so I am so very thankful for you guys, for the, for the work that you do here. I'm thankful for Ted and Brenda in particular for pouring into Autumnized Life. At a season, uh, we needed it more than we ever knew. And so we love you guys, and we want to see it continue. And, you know, I just recently read an article, 1%, 1% of the, only 1% of the churches are, are have an attendance over 800 people. You guys are one percenters. You're literally outlaws breaking what traditional church will tell you. And it's because of a love that is in this church. And if you want to see it continue, it's not about the numbers, but if you want to continue that intimacy, it's going to be the love that you have for one another and the encouragement that you give to one another towards love and good deeds. That, and you believe in the call of God has given each and every one of us. I did not know 12 years ago when Ted gave his farewell message at Revival and I walked onto that stage to congratulate him because I, I saw what, I, I wanted a piece of what that would be to step away at, from all comforts and, and to step out in faith and obedience. And so I didn't know that I would be called in, to do the very same thing, that I would wind up being a deacon at Reliance Church. I would wind up serving. I would wind up... Um, becoming an elder and winding up on the board of the church and eventually full-time staff here as a pastor. If, I, if you had told Autumn and I that at the moment, we, you would have, we would have told you you were crazy. In fact, it came at a pivotal time when 
Autumn and I were quite honestly disheartened with church in general. You know, we have a long history in ministry, and sometimes it wears you thin. But what you're doing here is a beautiful thing, and it's different. And I could tell you one of the turning points for me in my life was a time when I was gone on a business trip. And um, I just got done doing a presentation in Detroit, and I walked out of the, out of the meeting, and I cell phone was ringing, and I answered it, and it was Autumn. And she was crying. She said, my grandma just died in my arms. We were taking care of her mother in our, in our home. And so I was a mess. I could barely hold my composure to get back to the airport and take an emergency flight. And when I got back to the airport, I called, I called home, and Autumn said, don't worry. Ted and Brenda are here. Some of the most comforting words I had heard in a long time. And for us, we knew that our friends were just in the hospital and lost a child. And they came right from that. And I, I knew that love would be contagious in our lives. And that it, we didn't know at that moment what it would do. But we, we experienced love's, God's love and his grace and mercy in our family. And that is why we've served here. Because we love all of you. And as they say in Tennessee, love all you all. You know? <laughs> and so... We have a lot of great, fine memories. Um, some, we've laughed together. We've cried together. I, I think of the f- first time I served as a deacon at Reliance, and Galen asked me to make coffee, and I told him, I don't know how to make coffee. I don't drink coffee. And now we drink gallons, and we make gallons. And, <laughs> and so all that to say, it's been a great pleasure, Autumn and I, to, and we love all of you, and it's, it's been the greatest honor to serve and be a part of this family. And so thank you very much from the deepest part of my heart.